Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Because it's Labor Day, I, I want to I talk today uh, about what it would look like to be unshackled. We're in that series still, the, the, this unshackled series. What it would be like if we could be unshackled from the labor of trying hard to measure up. Just, just trying so hard to measure up. Uh, as, as I've been, getting, been looking at this series, Unshackled, um, I, I brought this up a couple weeks ago, this idea of, of how easy it is to, to be institutionalized in, uh, in, in a prison. And because when we're talking about our freedom and we're talking about becoming free from religion, we can get institutionalized in, in religion. And it, it becomes something that we need to be uh, unshackled for. And one of the things that we know about those who have been in prison for a while is they can become institutionalized and getting out can become scary and overwhelming for them. Um, I'm not commending this movie to you, so don't go out and rent it on a recommendation from me, but um, there's a movie uh, entitled The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, language and violence is, is pretty prominent in it. Um, but it's, uh, there's a character in it played by Morgan Freeman and he's known, his character is known as Red. And the, the, the movie, most of the movie takes place in the confines of this, these prison walls. And Morgan Freeman, he's playing this character Red. Um, they have a friend who gets released from prison and they hear about he took his life. And the inmates are out in the yard and they're, they're kind of trying to figure out what was that about, you know, all this kind of stuff. And um, Red's care, he's been locked up for decades now. He's been in prison all these many, many years. And he tries to help them understand this guy's reality once he got out. They're saying, you know, it would be different for them, all this kind of stuff. And, and here's something he says. This is just a quote from the movie. He says, I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, and then you get used to them, and if enough time passes, you get so, you depend on them. You know, the same is true about religion. Later in the movie, Red gets paroled. He's scared to death to be out. Uh, he gets out, and he doesn't know how to live free. He gets a job and at his place of employment because he's so, you know, encultured in prison, he's, he, he all, he's doing these weird things like he goes to his boss every time he needs to go to the bathroom to ask permission because that's what he had to do in prison. And so because it's so difficult and he's so afraid, he begins fantasizing about, about committing a crime so he can go back into prison because he knows prison system. He knows that life. It's, it was his identity. He knew who he was in that environment. But now he's out. He's what is called free. Some of you know John Wojcik, the, the, the second one. Um, he was on our stage last summer. Uh, he's part of an organization called Fresh Start that works with uh, those who have been incarcerated and are coming out. And I've had lots of opportunity to talk with John a, a, about the work that he does there. And um, one of the things that he told me that I found interesting was he said it this way. He said the challenge is to help these guys coming out. And, and John uh, was formerly incarcerated himself. He says the great challenge is 
to how to help them learn not to live in prison. How to help them learn not to live in prison. And for so many Christians, there's a truth to that. There's a reality to that because we have become imprisoned in religion. And Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia that we've been looking at for the past several weeks. And in that letter, he's addressing this in a, in a really huge way. How to no longer live in the, pres in the prison, in the shackles of, of, of religion, of a religious system that you've been set free to, 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 to live free. And God's intent was that we would stay free. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. So we wouldn't have to return to that old imprisonment of guilt and shame and religion. He, Jesus came for that and so he set us free to live free and that's kind of been our theme verse. It's from Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It's at the top of your worksheet if you want to pull that out, your listening guide there. And it's just, you, you have been set free to stay free. Unfortunately, it is so easy for those of us who follow Jesus to get caught back up in that religious system because it's familiar, it's comfortable. Last week we talked a little bit about the power of the gospel to help us be set free from the opinions of others. So that we could be free from what others might say about us, might be saying about us. And you know, I, I know for so many of us who have a, a, a church experience, maybe as we were growing up, we get motivated by the opinions of other people. And when that happens, our, our lives become focused only on the outside. And the truth is, the more you focus on the outside, the more you're going to be concerned with what people think. And you'll value yourself mostly through their eyes. And inevitably, what happens is we begin just kind of hitting the performance track where we pretend to be more than we really are. That's one of the trappings of religion. And so we're discovering in the, our, our look through Galatians that it's not what other people think that should be our motivation. And, and we no longer have to, because we've been set free by what Jesus did, we no longer have to be confer, con, con, concerned about even impressing God. Because Jesus impressed God for us. We don't, we don't have to. And that it's God's love for us, what he's done for us through Jesus on the cross, that gives us the motivation to pursue a righteous way of living, a right way of living, to pursue a, a holy way of living. It's his love. Paul wrote about this to the church in Romans. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4, he says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does it mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you away from sin? You know, it's God's kindness. And it's not that we could just, because of God's love, because of his kindness, that we can then just go do what we want. It's not a license to go sin. It's not, it's not a freedom for that. Instead, his grace and his kindness is intended to give us the strength to pursue a better life. The kind of life that Jesus lived. The kind of life that Jesus came to, to give us. It's not about trying hard enough. It's not about being good enough. It's about really, truly beginning to realize how much we are loved by God. Many of you have read uh, books by uh, pastor and author Tim Keller. I love the way that he briefly, you know, pulls this together in just a couple of quick statements. He states this, he says, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. 
He says that's what, what religion says. That, you know, if I follow the rules and then God will love me. You know, if I, if I do this, he, you know, if I do it long enough and get it right enough, he'll let me into heaven one day and that's why I'm accepted. He says, no, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity, the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I can obey. I, I'm, I'm able to live out obedience as I live out of the love relationship I have with God because of Jesus. And so it's about the relationship. It's what Paul wants us to understand. It's God's love for us that inspires us to a different kind of living. Now today what I want to talk about is this, how do we get set free from this, this labor-intensive kind of faith? Now one of the themes that we read about from the book of Galatians is this, this theme of it's easy to be institutionalized by the prison of religion. And it's hard, it's hard to really break that mindset because for so many people their whole, their whole church experience is religion. It's, re, it's religion-based. You know, many of you went to church and all you heard was, you know, try harder. Just a little more effort next week and maybe, maybe you'll get it. Just, just go back and get in the game. And it, it, you kind of feel like the theme most every weekend was kind of like you showed up at church and, you know, somebody standing up here would say something like, hey, thanks for playing. Try a little better next week. You know, you kind of, kind of, you kind of get that feeling and you, you wonder, will, will I ever be good enough? Will, will my effort ever matter? And so Paul points us to the gospel that says, Jesus came to set you free from that kind of life, that kind of, you know, try a little bit harder. And so Paul's message to these Christians is that living a holy life, being the person that God created you to be and envisions you to be, it's not about trying harder. It's about experiencing the love of God and in that love know that he has put his spirit in you if you've trusted Christ. And so living the Christian life is not about trying, it's more about relying. It's not, it's not about trying more, it's all about, it's all about relying. Relying on the power of the Spirit of God. And Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 3. He says this. He says, you began your life in Christ by the Spirit. He's writing to this church that he said, I want you to understand something. You began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now, are you trying to make it complete by living by your own power? And Paul's like, really? And then he goes on to say, that is just so foolish. It's just so dumb. See, you have the power of the Holy Spirit available to you, yet you keep going back, going back, going back to this idea that somehow you've got to be good enough. And Paul is pointing out that this is, this is like the tipping point difference between religion and Christianity. That Christianity is about being spirit-empowered, not being self-empowered. Let me see if, if I can help you grab hold of this for, for the visual learners in the house. Um... We have, we have lots of gadgets these days, don't we? You know? And those gadgets have to be what? Regularly. They have to be recharged. And so here's what we do. You know, we get our, we got, most of us have like an area in our house where we recharge. So we, we get our, our phone and we plug our phone in because we got to have our phone recharged, you know? And then we, you know, we get our, our, our little Fitbit and we got to have our Fitbit recharged because, you know, we, we, we got to have that, you know, that little wrist party that goes off at 10,000 steps. You got to have that, you know, you got to have that and, you know, your laptop's got to, your laptop's got to be charged. 
So you plug, you, you plug all those things in. And then you look around the room. Now, one of the beauties about these power strips is what? The really long cords they come with. You know? And so what happens? You start looking around the room for an outlet to plug it into. And there's none close, so you just do this. What gets recharged that way? Th this, this is a word picture for the way many Christians try to live their lives. We got all this stuff going on in our lives that needs to be recharged. And we try to power it up by plugging into our own determination. Trying to plug into our own ability to try harder. We, we just do this. And we think we're, we're walking by faith. And it, that's a picture of religion. Is trying to do it that way. And you find when you live that way long enough that nothing operates correctly. Everything runs out. And for some of you that explains why you're so frustrated in your pursuit of faith. You know, it's because you want to be a certain way and you're not, you're not seeing it. It always seems like this in, incredible struggle and you don't understand why. You want to be patient. You know, you, you want to be kinder and gentler and more self-controlled. You know, and so you're just determined. You're just going to pull your way into that. You're just going to make it happen. And you, you get up in the morning and you decide, yeah, I, I blew it yesterday, but I'm going to plug in. And you take off. And you're worn out by 10 a.m. You're exhausted at trying to, because you think you can find the power inside of you to, to live out who you're hoping to be, who you believe God has shown you to be. You know? And you start out saying, today I'm not going to get angry, and I'm not going to be lustful, and I'm not going to be selfish, and you do them all. And you're worn out by 10 a.m. And so the next day, you do the same thing. I'm going to try a little harder. And you try plugging into yourself again. And it just doesn't work. And you feel like it's killing you. I want us to think about what it looks like to rely on a different power source today. To rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now again, because it's Labor Day, I, I want to point out some ways that you can know that you are living this labor-intensive faith, okay? I just want to, and, and these are personal, okay? These, these come out of my own life experience over, over, you know, decades of trying to walk with the Lord. Um, but I, I have found them to be common. These are kind of common labor-intensive results if you're, if you're trying to walk by faith through, through just, you know, labor. First one is this, it's frustration. If, if you're looking to do your faith journey labor intensively, you're going to end up being very, very frustrated with yourself. You know, there, there are a few things that I've found that are more frustrating than trying to do something that you're incapable of doing. You know what this is? This is my medal from the Kiowa Island Marathon. I ran it. Now, it, it's not a winning medal. I know you look at the gold and think, that's a, he's got a gold medal. No, it's not. 
Not. This is uh, he crossed the finish line alive medal. <laughs> Everybody got one that crossed the finish line, okay? Now, don't clap. This was in 1993. I got one from 91, too, okay? Now, tomorrow in Colorado Springs, I love Colorado Springs, by the way, beautiful place. Tomorrow in Colorado Springs, they have the annual Labor Day Marathon. Now, I haven't been running in quite a while. What, how disappointing do you think I would be if I looked at that and thought and found out it's not too late to sign up and so I email them, you know, as soon as service is over. I go buy myself a new pair of running shoes. I buy a ticket to Colorado Springs and I'm at the starting line in the morning. How many of you could just imagine how disappointed I'm going to be when I hit mile marker five, you know, if I hit mile marker five, you know, pretty disappointed because I am not capable of running 26.2 miles today. I can't do it. It's not in this broken body. It's just, it, it's not. And so, I, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed. And that describes the, the problem what so many of us have with our faith. We think if we can just, I might have had some success before when I tried it this way, so I'm going I'm to try it again. I'm going to plug into my own power source. I'm going to be my, you know, my own cheerleader. And I get just as frustrated, if not more so. And so, there's this big difference of re the reason why religion frustrates and Christianity sets you free, two big differences here, is this. Religion emphasizes the rules. Religion emphasizes the rules. It makes you feel guilty when you break them and then it leaves you powerless. So important. Religion leaves you powerless to do anything about it. It does not give you a power to change. It just leaves you frustrated. And, and again, for so many, that was their church experience. Just emphasizing the rules and it made you feel guilty and there was no power to change and you were frustrated. Christianity, really, truly following the teachings of Jesus tell us this. The Christianity, Jesus came to give us a relationship. The Christian faith emphasizes this relationship. Here's a really cool thing. It extends grace for all the places where you broke the rules. For all your rule breaking. And for some of you, those were many. You know, broke a lot of the rules. And then it gives you this life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. It gives you power to live on. To, 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 to actually change. It's not about your efforts. It's about something else. It's about relying on the Holy Spirit. Another kind of labor-intensive faith result is exhaustion. If you stay frustrated long enough, you're going to end up exhausted from trying to do the religion thing. And it was such a big part of the problem when Jesus was here with the religious leaders. He said this about them in, in Matthew chapter 24. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. I, I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says they crush people with impossible religious demands and they never lift a finger to help. That that's what happens when you get caught up in a religious system. And again, for many, that was church. That's what it meant to, to go to church. You hear the message, you know. 
Most of you didn't start that way. Most of you started by hearing the message that Jesus loves you. And, and you, you saw how beautiful and winsome and attractive Jesus was. And you want to follow him. And then somebody shows up with the list. You know the list. All these things that they say, if you're going to really follow Jesus, you've got to keep the list. And you just feel like you never keep the list. You, you, you get worn out. You get exhausted by the list, you know. You, maybe you got it to work for a little while and it seemed to be working un, until it didn't work anymore. It, it, it just seemed to quit working and you're frustrated and you're, you're exhausted. And so many do this. I'm not doing this anymore. And they walk away from Jesus because of this list. That Jesus never intended you to keep the list anyway. You can't keep it on your own strength. You can't keep it by just plugging into yourself. And that's why Jesus tried to correct that. Many of you know that one of my favorite passages of scripture is Matthew chapter 11. And that I love the way the message paraphrases it. I know the message is a paraphrase. Okay, I get that. Some, some people get kind of upset and think he thinks it's a trans. I don't think it's a word for word translation. I know it's a paraphrase. Okay. But I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases. This passage of scripture. He said this. Matthew 11 chapter 20 verse 28 he says this is Jesus speaking. He says are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it Jesus says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly, freely and lightly. That's following Jesus. Another sign for me that I've, you know, started living, living this labor-intensive kind of faith journey. And I'm going to go ahead and throw you on the hook too because it's true for all of us. At some point, we start faking it. I start faking it. I start pretending. And, and you know what I mean, you know? All of us, when we're doing a job and we start falling short, you know, we want everybody to, around us to be impressed. We want people to be impressed with us. And it just happens, and it usually happens in such a subtle way, you just kind of start acting. And you can, you can begin acting so much so and do it for so long in a very subtle way that eventually you start believing it's true about yourself. You really start thinking it's okay and it's performance based. That's what your faith becomes. And friends, there are no better actors than people in church sometimes. I mean, just, it's, just, it's just the truth. You know, instead of being a place where we come and saying, this, this week beat me up. This week was tough. Instead of confessing, we got a challenge, you know. Instead of saying, I'm tired and frustrated from, you know, this pursuit. Instead of just saying, I need a helping hand. You know, we walk into church and somebody asks us, how's your week? Great. Great week. Wonderful week. Well, great. How's the fam? Oh, man, family's great. You know my wife. I, I married way up. You know. Kids, they're knocking it out of the park. Yeah. 
well, how's your walk with God? Well, oh, me and God, oh my goodness, we're just, we're so tight, it's just so wonderful, so perfect, he's showing me new things, it's just... Have you ever, when somebody's done that, just stop for a minute and say, really? How you doing? Really? You okay? Really? No struggles? R really? Another result of labor-intensive faith, and this is, give me a second to unpack it because it's going to sound like opposites, but it's not. But another result of labor-intensive faith is this. Conceit and defeat. Conceit and defeat. And the reason why both of those show up when you're living labor-intensive faith is because somewhere along the line you start comparing. You start comparing yourself. And sometimes you're going to compare yourself to people on this side of you who, you know, aren't doing quite as good as you. And you're going to get kind of self-righteous. You're going to get a little high and mighty and a little holier than thou. And then you're going to look at people on this side of you and you're going to get defeated because they're doing better than you. And you just say, what's the, what's the point in trying? You feel like a failure, so you just want to give up. And see, the Bible, the Bible rightly calls us to live a beautiful life. A life that's holy like our God. A life of, of pursuing righteousness, right relationships in all, all matters. That the Bible calls us to that. But how we go about pursuing that is the difference between religion and our faith in Christ. Between religion and the good news, the gospel that Jesus came to bring. And, and so Paul really begins with the church at Galatia trying to point out to them that they need to recognize what we all need to recognize is that we have, we have a brokenness about us. Before Christ came in our lives, we were full-blown in a sinful nature. And when, when he came into our lives, the Bible says, you know, that got buried with him. But guess what still existed? Our flesh. Those patterns of sin that were a part of that sin nature that got crucified with Christ on the cross. But it's still present in us. So God gave us this power through the Holy Spirit to overcome come our flesh. And Paul writes to say you need to know about your flesh because you're going to have a battle every day. There's going to be this kind of tug of war going on internally inside you. And there's going to be the flesh with its habits from your sinful nature. That flesh pattern still resides there. And there's going to be the spirit of God living in you if you've trusted Christ. And they're going to pull each other. There's going to be this battle. And some days if you feed the flesh... The flesh is going to win that fight. If you, and the, one of the ways we feed that flesh primarily is just trying to do it on our own power. Just trying to plug back in to our own strength. Folks, that fight, the only way that fight can be won is by the power of the Spirit. You can't win that fight on your own determination, under, under your own strength. If you try that, you're going to tap out every time. You're just going to, you're going to give up. It doesn't work. And so Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, 19, he, he gives us a list. So Just so you know, he gives us kind of this list of things that show up when you're trying to just plug in, when you're just trying to, to live by your own flesh. These are, these are the results. This is the fruit of, a, of this kind of living. 
of just your own determination trying to live by your flesh. He starts off uh, th this list saying sexual immorality. He's talking about sexual sin. Any kind of sexual sin outside of the bond of marriage. It may be just in your mind. It may be being played out in real time. But he's saying sexual immorality is going to happen if you, keep, if you do that long enough. He goes on and says there's going to be things like strife, jealousy, fits of anger. He says you're going to see things like envy and, and drunkenness. And, and Paul, Paul's saying here's what will happen. This is going to, it's going to be like those balls when you try to haul all these balls down on the water and you can't. Something's going to make it to the surface. If you try to walk by the flesh, you know, and you say, but that's not who I want to be. And I know that because that's, that's not who I want to be. I don't want to be a person who has a fit of anger. I don't want to be that way. I don't, I don't want to live that way. And see, we're, we're all going to fight this battle is what Paul is saying. We all have these flesh patterns, no matter how long you've been a Christ follower. You're still going to have those flesh patterns. And the only way to deal with it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by becoming more labor intensive. It's not by, by working smarter or working harder. It's by the power of the Spirit. And so Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5 a lot. In verse 16 he says, he said, I tell you walk by the Spirit. If you'll walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you'll just walk by the Spirit. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Walk, let him walk. And he, he, will, he will take care of those cravings. You know, if, if you want to understand how to defeat the flesh, you've got to walk by the Spirit. So that those things can begin to, 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 to fade away. They, they may not ever completely die, but you'll overcome them. He says the only way that that's going to happen is the Spirit of God. Then he goes on in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. You ever feel that? I mean, seriously, just in your life, do you ever feel that tension? Back in, I do. I feel that battle going on. These two forces fighting against each other. And this is what he's talking about. See, there, there, there's an opposition. There's this constant fighting going on in your body between the flesh and the spirit. And I believe this about everybody in this room. I believe you have good intentions. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't have good intentions. I, you know, I, I, I have good intentions. I want to be more gentle. I want to be kinder. I, I want to I be more self-controlled and compassionate. And I believe that about you. That that's who you want to be too. That you want to live that way. But the truth is none of us are going to do that unless we're living out of the power of the Spirit. Or we're going to constantly live frustrated, failing, exhausted lives. And here's the truth. If we could have done it on our own, the death of Jesus Christ would be unnecessary. He wouldn't have had to come and live. He wouldn't have had to come and model life for us. He wouldn't have to come and teach. He wouldn't have had to come and suffer and die. He wouldn't have had to left the glory and beauty of heaven if, if we could have done it on our own. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us. He wants to, he wants to empower us. But we must realize, and Paul says this, you've got to realize there's some competition there. For the Spirit's attention. And the question really becomes, which of these two am I going to spend more time feeding? 
What, what am I going to spend more time feeding? I, I, I did this in the first service and I, I warned my wife I may do it in the second service and I'm going to do it. And it's scary. I'm back on Weight Watchers. Back on Weight Watchers. There's this, uh, my, our Weight Watcher instructor, journey guide, whatever, I don't know what she's called. Um, she's actually part of our, our family here. I walk into Weight Watchers for the first time. I am doing everything I can to hide in, against the wall. I don't, I don't know if you know that. I don't want to be spotted. And it's one of our church members leading the meeting. You know? Just slayed me. Anyway, I'm back in Weight Watchers. And there's this thing in Weight Watchers called truth in tracking. And basically what that means is you've got to write everything down. You know, they've got these really cool apps now that you can put it in your app and keep it in your phone. But you've you got to record everything you eat. And nutritionists that try, are trying to help people get back on track with, you know, a healthier lifestyle, one of the first things they tell you is that you need to you start writing down everything you eat. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, actually, they're telling you to take pictures of it. Because some of that stuff you look at and say, I put that in my body. The, um, and, and so you, you write it all down. And one of the results is people will start changing just simply when they realize how much and what they're putting in their bodies. You know, like that little, that little, that little dark, dark chocolate bar, you know, that came off a co-worker's desk. Why should you count that? Why should you write that down? Or the, or the chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A that are left over, you know, your, your children or your grandchildren don't finish them, you know. And, you know, it's poor stewardship not to eat them, you know. It just, it just is. It would be sin, would it? Not to eat them. And since they weren't mine, why do I need to write them down? But they're, they're, there's this truth in tracking. You know, you, you got you, you gotta, you to gotta write it down. You got to keep up with, with what's going on. You know, you, you, you got to know. And then habits can, can start changing. And that's a challenge in our spiritual life. It's, it's kind of, you know, realizing that there's got to be this moment when I'm challenged to change. Something's, something's got to do that. And there are these patterns in our flesh. And there's the spirit within us. And we've got to ask ourselves, what are we really feeding here when I make this choice or that choice? What am I really feeding? And so, it's not always about I'm feeding the flesh. Sometimes I'm just not feeding the spirit. You know, I, I can just veg out watching TV in the evening. And I'm not really feeding my, my flesh. I'm not setting out to do anything like that. But I'm not really feeding my spirit. And so I'm not helping myself this way. And, you know, we have to be truthful about this. There's got to be truth in tracking. Which one am I feeding these days more? Am I feeding my flesh? Am I feeding those patterns more? Am I going back to those or am I actually feeding the spirit? And I can tell. I can tell when I'm spending less time praying, less time in God's Word, less time listening to worship music. I can tell when a week like that happens to my soul. I can tell. I, I, I know what I've, what I've been feeding and what I've not been feeding. 
And see, those are habits that help me plug into the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, when I do that, I'm feeding the Spirit that can help me defeat my flesh. And Paul says, hey, let me show you. You can know if you're feeding the flesh. I mean, he, he told us that list. And then he says, let me show you what it looks like if you start feeding the Spirit. And he starts giving us another list. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, there's no law against those things, man. Just this, this list of beautiful things. And, but here's what happens to us. We look at it and say, a list. And then we start running after it. You know, it's something I need to work at. Yes, I need to be, have more peace. And yes, I need to have more joy. And yes, I want to be more self-control. So you run to the self-help section, you know. And, and they're not all bad. We can, we can get help there. But that's still plugging into my capacity to do something. Read a book, do it. That's still plugging into that capacity instead of plugging into the power of the Holy Spirit. And after a while... Frustration, exhaustion, because you're not plugging into the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that Paul, when he gets to that list, he says the fruit of the Spirit. It's to let us know that it's not like I, I get a seed and I throw it in the ground and cover it up and the fruit's going to be there tomorrow. It's going to take time. I've got to live in that realm. I, I've, got to, I've got to live this way and feed this. Learning to rely over the course of time on the power of God before I start seeing that fruit. And that fruit will come, he says, if, because the Spirit's there. If you've trusted Christ, if you, if you came to that place where you realized the good news of Jesus was that he set you free and that you're a sinner separated from God by your sin and that Jesus came to, to give you the power to overcome both the power of sin and the penalty of sin, which was death, which means to be separated from God. If you're a Christ follower and you've, you've trusted that, then you have been given this gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has it. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, he says, let me ask you this question. We read it a minute ago. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And Paul says, of course not. He, it's kind of like Paul saying, let me ask you a question. Did you really earn it? The Holy Spirit that you got, did you earn it? Did, was there a point in your life when you, you know, you won enough tokens that, you know, God fair, and then somehow you got to cash them all in and God gave you the Holy Spirit. Is that how it worked? No. The, the, he, he, he goes on to say, Paul does in, in verse 3, he says, of course not. You received the Spirit because, what? You believed. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. You received because you believed. And again, it's not really something you did. You just believed it was something God had done for you. And you received this gift of the Holy Spirit. Simply by putting your faith in Jesus. Now, here's the point. Somebody's saying, Joe, get to the point. Here's the point of the day's message. Here's the big idea. God's answer to our struggle with a labor-intensive faith was to put His Spirit, His Holy Spirit in us. That's God's answer to our struggle with labor-intensive faith is to put his Holy Spirit in us. And this message that Paul gives to the Galatians is not just a message for them. He had to tell the Ephesians this. He wants all Christians to understand this. He, he, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 he said, When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. It wasn't until then, until you believed, he identified you as his own and this is how he, he marked you. This is your new identity. He put his spirit in you. 
He gave you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is this gift. And Paul is constantly having to remind believers of this resource. Letter after letter after letter. He's, whether he wrote them one or two letters. He's constantly reminding them about the power of the Holy Spirit. This gift of the Holy Spirit. And it needs to be open, he says. It's got, you've got to do something with it. You can't just stick it in your, under your bed or in the back of the closet where gifts go to die. You know, you've got you to pull it out. It can't be unused or unopened. You've you got to do something with it. Some of you may have survived Hugo here. And one of the things that you heard people talking about, you know, after, after Hugo was, you know, there were the power outages and you kind of got used to living with kerosene lamps and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then suddenly one day, you know, you just decide, I'm just going to see. You know, and you go back in and you throw the power on and guess what? You had lights. And then you discover your neighbor had lights three days ago, but nobody told you. You know? You could have been taking hot showers. Um, but here, it, so often we live our lives that way. The power's there. But you got, you, you're given operation of the switch. And you got to walk into the room and you got to turn it on. And unfortunately, far too often, that happens in our journey with Christ. We go back to that old life. We go back to those patterns, just that kerosene living, when there's a power source available to us. And Paul writes, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. In verse 16, we read it earlier. It said, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't give in to those flesh cravings. But he goes on later, and, and in verse 25, he says this. And I love the way the NIV translates it. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is how we, this is, this is what we do. We have a part in this. We have to keep in step with this. I love that word picture. We got to stay in step with the Spirit if we want to live out of that power, if we want to be filled with this, this power that God has given us. We have to choose to stay in step. And what that means is if you're a Christian, you've been given this gift and the question is, are you being filled? Are you trying to stay in step with the Spirit? In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, Paul wrote this. He said, he said, don't be drunk on wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people think that that verse is kind of just about the drinking thing. You know, and we see Paul representing it with kind of a this statement. It's you choose this or you choose that. And I believe he just used wine in this application. You could have used anything. He could have plugged in material possessions. He could have plugged in workaholism. He could have plugged in pornography. He could, have, he could have plugged in a number of other words or phrases. That's a comparison that says, don't do this. Do it, do it this way. Get filled up more on these things over here than these things. Make sure that you're filled with him. And that phrase there is, I, I want to I unpack it for just a second. Okay? That phrase of what it means to be filled be filled because it, it's, a, it's a very important phrase. He said, don't be drunk on wine because it'll lead to just kind of wrecking your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, that verb tense, be filled, is very important to grab hold of because it's kind of a three-form verb tense. It is both present, passive, and imperative. Now, some of you are saying, why is that such a big deal? Because you need to understand what Paul was communicating when the Spirit of God inspired him to use that particular verb form. 
And what Paul was saying is, be filled means this. It is constant. It is continuous. That's what it means to be present. It's ongoing. It's happening all of the time. Be filled all of the time. Be in step with the Spirit all of the time. It is a present, ongoing kind of thing. It is a daily, moment-by-moment moment thing. Here's what it's not. I come to church on Sunday, that's my faith. It's not just that. It's so much more than that, you know. That, that's what that word means, be, be filled. It doesn't, it doesn't mean pull up to the gas station, you're empty, then get filled. It means constantly topping off. Just constantly, continually topping off with the power of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to, to say that this, this verb is, is passive, which means I'm not doing it. It's happening to me, but my part is to get aligned to receive it. I, I, it's going to happen to me. I can't make it happen. I can't pump enough in. I just got to move my bucket to catch it. I've got to open my sail up so the wind of the Spirit blows fully. I, that's, that's my part. I've got to put myself in a position to capture all of the filling of the Spirit. And then that verb is imperative, which means you, you got to do it. You got to do it. All Christians have to do this. Uh, too often we think it's like optional equipment. You know, we think that spirit-filling thing, well, that's like for that denomination. You know, they're, they're, they're like the people who talk about that, that spirit-filled stuff. And so, so it's kind of optional for us. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. He says, we, we've got to be filled. We need to pray that God would, would fill us. We need to focus our lives not on our power, but His. And so the deal is trying, you know, to find this power for life. We can't call on our own strength. We've got, we've got to call on the strength of God. You may get it to look good calling on your own strength for a little while. But it'll, finally, it'll rat you out. It, it would be like having, it would be like having a car. Let's say it's a really nice car. Okay, let's say it's a Mercedes S-Class convertible. Really nice car. And you're sitting in that car with your shades on and people are walking by saying, you look good, you look good. And they come back by. Yeah, you're looking good. And they come back by. And a week passes and you're still right there. And finally somebody comes over and says, what's up? I'm out of gas. You may look great. But that car was created to take you places. But you don't have the source of power that you need to move it. I heard a pastor a couple weeks ago tell a story about he was, he had been, he was on this trip. Kind of a long road trip. And uh, his gas light came on so he pulled off at the, the next exit. And he, he got out and he put the nozzle in his car. He went, swiped his credit card and, you know, punched numbers in. And, and then went into the store, went to the bathroom. Came back out, took the nozzle out. Got in his car and drove away. He got about three miles down the road and his gas light was still on. He said he thought, stupid gas light's broken. So he keeps on driving and about 20, 25 miles down the road, his car begins to sputter and dies. And he pulls off and gets on the side of the road. 
And he's not very mechanically inclined, he said, so he said he, he, he did like all men do, you know, he goes and opens the hood and kind of looks, the, he, he said he was looking for a reset button. And um, he said, you know, so he finally calls AAA, and a AAA guy gets there and, you know, he, he explains what he did about the, you know, the gas stop and all that kind of stuff. And so the guy goes and looks under the hood and he gets in the car and he turns it over. And he just goes back to the, his truck. Doesn't say anything, he just goes back to his truck and um, he gets the five-gallon gas can, comes up and puts five gallons of gas. And the guy can't believe, was that, that was five gallons of gas? He said, yeah. And so he, he goes back and gets in the car and turns it over for a couple of seconds and then it fires. Starts running. He was out of gas. Because what he had failed to do was engage the pump when he went into the store. And so when he came out, he just pulled it out. He, just put, he never got any gas. And he was looking at the warning light on his dashboard thinking the light was broken. And the guy showed him. He said, come here. Gas lights. It's off now. And when I heard that story, I thought about how, how, how horrible it would be for that to be your experience at River Bluff Church. For you to show up here needing something, needing needing a source of power from God because you can't go any further on your own. And maybe, maybe you showed up here and there are warning lights going off all over your life. And you come in and you sit down and you, you look for something to happen. And then you leave. You don't do anything the rest of the week. And you just kind of die on the vine. Friends, there's a role that we play in this. Seeking the power of God for life transformation. And, you know, you may need to make a lot of different decisions today. I, I don't know what they might be. I'm just going to ask you to make one. If, if God tells you, if the Holy Spirit tells you to make some other decision, you, you, you make them. But just as your pastor, I'm just going to ask for one today. I'm going to ask that all of us, me included, elders, deacons, all of us, that this week we would just agree that every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to ask God to fill me with the Spirit. And it's okay to say, I don't even know what that looks like. It kind of scares me to think about doing that. I don't want to get freaky or jiggy or anything like that, you know. But you're asking for filling by God with his spirit so that you can experience life in the kingdom. You can experience life change because that's who he created you for. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're God's child. He has so much more for you than the rut of frustration and exhaustion and performance and conceit or defeat. He's got so much more for you. He has wonderful plans for you. And he wants you to experience the kind of life that can continuously be topped off by walking in the Spirit, by being step by step in the Spirit, by trusting Him and not yourself. 
so that you can receive that power that if you're a child of God's, it's your right. You have a right to that kind of life. But you've got to position yourself to receive it. And it starts by praying. Saying, dear God, fill me. And won't it be cool to think, you know, that there are brothers and sisters who are gathered in this room. You can look around if you want to. Who would be praying the very same thing that you're praying and asking God for. What, what, what could happen? What might happen if the people of God go to our Father and ask for the power of God to be unleashed in all of us that we would be filled? Let's pray. Father, we come now. We come giving thanks that you have you have torn the prison walls down for us through the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And you have arranged your kingdom and our access to it not by our own self-determination, our own willpower, but you gave us the power to live in that kingdom even now. And God, so many of us, what we need to do today is we just need to repent of thinking we can do it on our own. Maybe because of pride. Maybe because we want to point to ourselves. But we just come to the end of that today, God. And we come giving you thanks. And we come saying, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us now. Because we're your children. Some of you may be here today and for the very first time you realize that what it means to follow Jesus is not about a list of keeping rules. It's about a beautiful relationship with the God of the universe who was willing to come and die for you because you could not live life on your own. You needed a power source and he came and died to give you life. A relationship with his father. Put his spirit in you as a gift. And you want that. And so right now, the Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. All you have to do is just say, Lord, I repent of doing it my way. And I choose your way. I choose you, Jesus, and life in you. And we'll gladly show you how to access that if you'll let us know. In these closing moments, though, as we come again to a time of worship, I pray that you will worship in such a way that you are reminded of who you are. You're, you're a child of God. You have right to a, a wonderful, beautiful life in Him even now by plugging into Him, by plugging into the truth of who He says you are. And you're a child of God. So come now and let's worship through giving, through celebrating who he says we are as his children because of what Jesus did for us. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. 
We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.